The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Adam, we're recording the podcast in the same time zone. Um, this is not something we expected to happen, but we're not here. Not um, And what do we have that glues us together and, you know, helps us fight through these uh, dark times? It's the Milwaukee Brewers uh, adding stress, but also excitement to our lives. For sure, they are maybe more important for you than ever this week. Um, we should probably pull back the curtain a little bit. Andrew is stranded, stranded be the term, in, in the United Kingdom. <laughs> stranded is a good term because it's interesting because, you know, we kept our recording date that we had had planned. We did. It's very good of us. Originally, I was supposed to be back home in North Carolina. You guys, uh, you know, we dropped the baseball movie episode the last week that we had recorded for Captured on Celluloid, Jordan Tresky came in and gave a great relief performance. Uh, Jordan, you know, versatile as ever, comes in and, and does the job. And uh, now we're here recording again to, to update you on the uh, the Philly series and the one-off game against the San Francisco Giants. But I am in a hotel uh, a mile from the airport in Manchester, England. I have contracted COVID-19 on the or 
probably a few days before the last day of my trip. Uh, you have to test positive or negative to get back into the United States of America these days. And I'm not allowed to fly for probably another three days. Um, so here we are. I'm quarantining in this hotel room, which is a lovely hotel room. There's worse problems to have. Um, but now what do I have to do? I have to work because, you know, I, I brought my work laptop because I knew disaster scenario was possible. And I have to watch the Milwaukee Brewers. So the, the Brewers are keeping me sane, but also making me insane. And we're here to talk about it. Yeah, and I will admit to, you know, maybe it's, it's my fault if, if people are listening, they're like, hey, the audio fidelity is not as good in this situation as it used to be. Andrew was, for the week leading up to him leaving, insisting he was going to bring his microphone just in case. Um, that was more just in case in terms of if he felt like doing a podcast when he was in the UK. I was like, no, enjoy your trip. There's no need. And as it turns out, I guess it could have come in handy, but it's fine. Everyone can hear you. We'll make the most of it. And hopefully, hopefully things get back to normal very, very soon for uh, for you, Andrew, because, yeah, you're having you're having quite a few days. Yeah, at the very least, uh We'll probably have one more of these recorded uh, from uh, from quarantine. But uh, until then, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, at the very least, uh, the, there have been positive developments for the Milwaukee Brewers since I've been here. Well, that's I wanted to I wanted to throw it to you first rather than you drawing it to me, because obviously people heard from me last week. You have been keeping up. You've been watching bits and pieces of games here and there. You've probably seen condensed games of, of every game they've played. Um, bit of a bit of a winning streak. I think as you had long predicted that when you left, they would go on some sort of winning streak. The loss to the Phillies in the middle of it broke that up. But what have your impressions been of the, the way the Brewers have went up a gear, um, at least in in one department of their play over the past week, 10 days. Here's what, like what it comes down to. First of all, for the most part, when you and I made proclamations about the Brewers pitching, keeping them in games at the beginning of the season. And then we got a lot of uh, wise guy replies uh, when the season did not start off well on the mound. Uh, that's actually true. The Brewers pitching keeps them on in games. And if the Brewers score more than four runs in a baseball game, they're probably going to win. Uh, that just doesn't always happen. I mean, we get the the, the series split with the Cardinals uh, with a 6-5 win, and then a 6-1 win against Pittsburgh, a 5-2 win against Pittsburgh, uh, a 4-2 win against Pittsburgh. And what we described as like the, the model for uh, a Brewers win this season is those 5-2, 4 wins. And that's what we've been seeing. So that, that was nice to see. They faced a bad team at home, and what did they do? They took care of business. That being said, it's still highlighting all of the concerns we have about the offense because you'd like to mix in, like, one of these games that some of the other teams have against the Brewers, like the 9 nothing from Chicago or the 10-1 from St. Louis. Like, it'd be nice for at least one Brewers game to get to, like, the sixth inning, and, and you know it's over. The offense is – taking care of it and you just get to coast the rest of the way out uh, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be our lot in life but you know maybe this uh this not decision this uh circumstance that, that sees me here for a little while 
other than last night, will you know keep keep the winning ways going. I mean, they were on a uh, I believe a four game win streak, um, and then they lost to Philadelphia, won a pair against uh, Philly, and then lost last night. So what is that? Six out of eight that were on the stretch right now. Yeah, so, they know, were. We'll, 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 We'll take that, and if if we keep going six out of eight the rest of the season, you know we'll we'll be sitting pretty. And to your point, they are nine and one when they score at least four runs, and they're six and zero oh when they score more than four runs. So it's not it's not the biggest ask in the world. It seems very attainable if they could just find a little bit of something that this team could be pretty dominant, really, because the pitching certainly sets them up for that. They don't need to hit at a level that puts them in the, the upper echelons of of Major League Baseball in that regard. They just need to be about average, maybe even a little bit below average. And the Brewers will be in really, really good shape. And look, there have been signs of that improving. Certainly, we had a steady run through to the final, from the final game um, against the Cardinals, through to, I guess the final game is the Phillies where at least runs did seem to be coming in and they were more consistently getting themselves on the board and putting themselves in positions where they were really going to have a strong chance. And then what's I was, I was saying this earlier because I'd be inclined to say one nil and I know Americans do not say nil in sporting terms. So is it one zero one Oh game? It, it would be one, nothing. One nothing. Okay, I can do collo- that. Colloquially, how it would probably go, but I think it's very flexible there. Well, um, the one nothing over over the Phillies to close that out, and honestly, until the wheels came off, it looked very much like we could have been heading to a one nothing game against the Giants too. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that Box, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader were getting the night off, we probably would have seen a one nothing game. And, well, to your point, as we go to kind of recap things more specifically, this is a game that I'd forgotten I'd watched most of, but uh, game one against the Phillies is another game that Milwaukee was in position to win. Things started out precariously, as as things often do. Um, Bryce Harper, with a first-inning double, scored uh, Gene Segura and put the, the Phillies up one nothing. Hunter Renfro, Renfro, Renfro <laughs> slack, sack fly scores Adamas in the third to tie things. Uh, and then Andrew McCutcheon hits a sack fly uh, to score Mike Barrasso in the seventh and gives Milwaukee a 2-1 lead late in the game. And you like to think if Milwaukee gets late in the game with a lead, they're going to close it out because of their dominant bullpen. That being said, uh, the margins are razor thin. And it comes back to one thing that's been kind of interesting to me about um, this Brewers team, and it reared its head yesterday yesterday against the Giants as well. They're not really taking advantage of when they come up against a starting pitcher who's not necessarily, you know, the strongest. I mean, Ranger Suarez was, was fighting his command all day, four hits, four strikeouts, and four and two-thirds innings, and the Brewers just couldn't take advantage more than those that one run against him and then eventually the, the sack fly in the seventh against the Phillies bullpen. So it, it seems not to matter if they're facing a Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler, um, you know, some of the elite starting pitchers. It's the same result even when they go up against the same longs and the Ranger Suarez of the world. Um, moving on to more specifics about that game. Um, this uh, is my one, one thing on that up. game when you're saying not taking advantage too, which they were getting on base, but that's of the, yeah. the four games we're going to talk about, eight runners left on base. So 
that's the the highest mark across any of these games. And actually, some of them refreshingly enough. Although I don't know if um, only having two guys left on base in a one nothing win is necessarily all that uh, reassuring or encouraging. But they have been converting a little bit more readily on their opportunities. Where in that game to open up the Philly series, they certainly didn't. Yeah, one for eight with Rodgers in scoring position and. To your point, if you're not the team who's going to just mash and put up, like, just runs inning after inning, then you need to you need to do something that is really unpredictable on a game-to-game basis and on a season-season basis. You need to be clutch. And if you're not being clutch when, when you're not a high-powered offense, uh, you're going to lose a lot of close games. Uh, this is one I watched about half of and then <laughs> fell victim to being on vacation. Um, so I know you probably have more specific thoughts uh, about kind of how this one ended. <clears throat> it was another instance of, uh, I think, in the beginning of the game of something we'll talk about a little later, Craig Council mixing and matching uh, right-handers versus left-handed starting pitching uh, to the Brewers' detriment in many cases, and we'll talk about that more specifically with the, the San Francisco Giants game because that was a little more egregious. But Aaron Ashby came in. Uh, through two good innings of release relief and then it looked like council maybe tried to stretch him a little bit too much and uh, some soft contact led to some runs being scored and a lead turned into a lot or a win turned into a loss yeah he was he was stretching anything too far essentially um it was just a matter of you know, even you could have just taken him out a little bit earlier where it was clear it was getting away from him and he didn't do that and he waited until the situation was basically at its worst. I feel like the bases were loaded. I think if if Box didn't inherit the bases loaded, it was certainly two on when, when he came into the game. And it was a tough spot. He was pretty tidy with it, but the, the situation he'd inherited was just... Not ideal, too much to overcome, particularly when you're in a spot where you don't have any offense of your own. And that is, again, it comes down to the margin for error is so, so fine for the Brewers because they're not scoring. That a situation like that comes around, you've got to, you're asking some of your better, your more reliable relievers to be perfect, to come in and be perfect because any slip ups and things can really get away. And I mean, I think. The, the Ashby into Boxberger dynamic from this game is not entirely dissimilar to what we saw with Trevor Gott and Jay Cousins against the Giants. Um, similar, similar kind of shape to the game in terms of Brewers have a lead, but it's a one-run lead. And if they give up anything, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be trouble. And in that case. And they did. There was there was no comeback there. Sorry, it was a two-run lead at that point in the Phillies game. But still, you're you're not you're not giving yourself a lot of room to maneuver. It's a tough spot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yep. So the good feelings uh, had gone away after the, uh, the four-game winning streak immediately in Philadelphia. Uh, from the eighth inning in uh, game one to about the fourth inning in game two, things were looking a little uh, precarious as we move on to game two. So game one of the series, a 4-2 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, before we move on, I do want to say um, Freddie Peralta wasn't his sharpest, but you know, five innings, uh, only allowing the one run, like he kept him in the game. He's, and, he's definitely the yeah. starter who is, we're waiting on though, to, to have a, a game where you're like, Oh, that's, that's him. He's locked in. He's it's funny. True. The first, um, the first three games of the season, um, I guess we, we look at the, the Brewers kind of three aces. He was probably the closest to himself as as Burns and Woodruff have struggled where they just immediately bounce back and have been at their very best since where he's probably stayed somewhat similar to the level he was at then, which is not disastrous, but it is not ideal. And certainly there's, there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, he gets his pitch count uh, up early in these games and that leads some that to fight back. And then, you know, even, even when he only allows one run, I think it was two walks, three hits, he's still, fighting to get out of the fifth inning and can't go deep in games just because of that pitch count and the command not being where it generally is. But we'll see how that improves moving forward. Uh, as I said, game game two of this series started in a pretty uh, scary place. I think our DMs, Adam, were, were uh, a little uh, more negative uh, than we like them to be. The Phillies started this game up 3-0. A Nick Cassianos double to right in the first, scored Harper. Ajin Segura sat, uh, single scored Adubo Herrera in the second, and then the third, Nick Cassianos, um, a sacrifice fly to score Segura. They're up 3 nothing in the third inning. Zach Wheeler is on the mound for the Phillies. I believe he was the runner-up to Corbin Burns in last year's uh, NL Cy Young race. Uh, so suffice it to say, at that point in the game, 
I'm sitting in Liverpool at this point, I think. Uh, not yet in my, my Manchester prison. Um, I'm like, well, you know, I, I hate that it's going like this, but you know, maybe the Brewers are allowed to lose when I'm, when I'm out of, uh, out of country, but then things turned around. Zach Wheeler, we sh- should say has not been his, his sharpest this year going into this start. Um, he was not exactly cruising, but pitching well through four innings. And then in the fifth inning, uh, wheels came off Wheeler. The wheels did come off Wheeler, um, was, uh, with some runners on, I think it was Renfro on second Kane on first Chase Peterson single scores Renfro Adamas single to score Kane and then Yelich single to score Peterson. It's after, uh, that, uh, Willie Adamas ended up coming home on what looked to be uh, a delay or a, uh, a pick steal is what we'll call it from Yelich, which is a very high school baseball play. Yelich takes off for second, stops just before he gets to the base. It was his intent if the uh, second baseman or shortstop caught the ball to get into a rundown to allow Adamas to score. Adamas broke as soon as the catcher threw Real Muto um, in this situation. But the ball goes through to center field. Yelich is safe at second. Adamas scores. It's 4-3 Phillies in the fifth. And uh, Zach Wheeler get out of the inning. Yeah, 4-3 Brewers, sorry, after uh, Adamas scored. Then after the fifth inning, that was it for Wheeler. Five innings, seven hits, four runs, all earned, five strikeouts, no balls. So, Zach Wheeler, uh, not looking like, to this point, that he's going to contend with Corbin Burns for another Cy Young, and uh, the Brewers were able to take advantage. They would get um, one more run in the sixth inning. Hunter Renfro with a home run to the opposite field absolutely crushed that baseball to right field. Um, I know the Phillies play in a wiffle ballpark, but it, it was still nice to see Renfro showcase that opposite field power. Um, he had he had the best game uh, for the team today. He went three for four with a double, a home run, two runs scored, and that RBI on the homer. Um, Adrian Hauser went six six innings, five hits, three runs, all earned, a, a walk, and three strikeouts, um, and kind of just did what Adrian Hauser does, which is give you a quality start and, and keep you in the game, even if he's not throwing up a shutout. Um, and then the bullpen, bullpen took it from there. Uh, a guy who's been mostly great this season, uh, Trevor Gott throws a scoreless inning with two strikeouts. Devin Williams, a scoreless inning with a strikeout. And then Josh Hader does what Josh Hader does and closes things down in the night. A 5-3 uh, Brewers win to stop the losing streak at one after it looked like things were going south. So that was like a really nice bounce back in, in a game that looked like it might get away early. Yeah, and it's against a team that, you know, by the time uh, they're down three nothing, and it's the you're coming into the fifth inning, having lost the night before, and you're looking at the Phillies, and the Phillies are, they're designed to be, you know, built for offense. As you, you mentioned, we did a playback where we watched the Brewers Giants game last night, and in talking about the Phillies, you said, you know, it's a very bold strategy they're going with to see just just how bad defense you can be, and maybe try to get away with it, and. Uh, overall, I guess they're not really getting away with it so far this season. But an interesting clash of styles given the strengths and weaknesses of the Brewers. And certainly at that point, uh, it was concerning. It's concerning when you're going up against a team that you can see where runs could come from when you're not exactly a run-scoring team yourself. But that was very, very welcome. If we could get some more four-run innings, that would be welcome. <laughs> It would it would relieve a lot of the stress 
um, that Brewers fans feel watching the team at the moment. A lot of the pressure that the players feel in game, it, it would free them up to be a lot better. I think it's, it's no coincidence even that you get you do something like that, and then next time around, Hunter Renfro hits a home run. I think there's just a level of confidence and maybe a bit more freedom that comes from just seeing some runs clock up at a real rate. Because even, even when they have got to their four and five, on occasion that has still been, it's it's one run here, one run there. Everything is very, very hard earned. So I don't I don't think they've had a better offensive inning than that this season. Unless I'm forgetting something. I can't think of, there haven't been too many games with more than four runs. So I, I certainly can't think of innings where they surpass that. Yeah, it would have had to be the the Yelich Grand Slam. It's the only thing that that's the only one that um, matches. Yeah, um, and this game they did what we said they didn't do in game one: four for eight with runners in scoring position. Uh, the Yelich and Adamas singles both came with two outs, so they needed hits. Otherwise, they're going to strand runners. Um, they got them in, and it led to a five three win. And um, yeah, that was uh, that was a game that looked looked scary, but ended up you know. Working out nicely. Uh, moving on to game three of the Philadelphia Phillies series. I, I'm having a tough time, Adam, deciding what to call this game. Is it the Eric Lauer game or is it the Angel Hernandez game? Mm. Uh, because uh, this game uh, was a, a thrill ride. So it was a, a scoreless game until the top of the ninth inning. Eric Lauer, uh, helped by the uh, generous strike zone of umpire angel hernandez uh was magnificent so it was but but let's 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 be clear on that because even when um when i I took a look at the the umpire scorecard yesterday it's the the brewers benefited overall i think we will anyone who watched the game will remember a couple of notable calls and certainly the reaction to one of them um of where the brewers benefited but it was it was negative for both teams. Like, and um, that's what Kyle Schwarber said, which we'll get to. Yeah, it, it was just, it was really, really bad. I had been warned. Jordan warned me before the series and um, when we saw Angel Hernandez was on it. And I, I will say there wasn't a whole lot of talk about it but because I was aware of it. A couple of, he was, he was on first base, I think for the two previous games. A couple of iffy calls. And um, the one, I think it was in game one in particular, where I was like, okay. Um, but then different, different story altogether when he gets to, to home plate and essentially becomes the show. And it was truly, I, I could not be prepared for how bad it was. No matter what I'd heard, no matter what I'd been told, I don't know how many times I've seen a sporting official just be so bad. I mean, this was something that in the GSPI Discord, it evolved into a, a, a pretty long-running conversation. And Scott Foster, the NBA referee, was a name that came up. Scott Foster is bad. And Scott Foster, certainly against notable teams, um, he, has, he has certain players. Chris Paul would be one where it does not go well for Chris Paul when he goes up against Scott Foster. At the same time, though, just the variance here, it's like, it's so wide of the mark. He just, there's no consistency whatsoever. And there have been some games this season where we've talked about just pretty crazy strike zones, but this was, 
I guess a little bit more consistent, but it was consistent in that the strike zone was like five feet wide. And, you know, you can only play within the rules of the game that are set for you. And Eric Lauer played within those uh, parameters and he did extremely well. Uh, what was it? Six innings, uh, five hits allowed, uh, which were the only five hits the Phillies would get in that baseball game. Um, one walk, 13 strikeouts. And you know what? Flowers having a great season. Uh, 2.20 ERA after this performance. And he took advantage of Angel Hernandez being the worst home plate umpire in baseball. Um, and that's to his credit. Uh, this game, like I said, was scoreless until the ninth inning, um, partially because of Hernandez, uh, but also because Lauer, Brad Boxberger, and Devin Williams uh, just nailed things down. Uh, after Lauer's six innings, Boxberger comes in, uh, throws a scoreless seventh inning with one strikeout. Devin Williams, who seems to be returning back to the Devin Williams that we know, one inning, uh, a walk, but also a strikeout and a scoreless eighth inning. We get to the night um, the Brewers would score on a Christian Yelich sacrifice fly that would score Jace Peterson. Um, overall, not a great night from the offense. Um, well, one for four night for Andrew McCutcheon with a single. Uh, Jace Peterson uh, singled and a double for Tyrone Taylor were the three hits on the night. Uh, like you said, 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position and two runners left on base. So there was not a lot of traffic on the bases. But the Brewers would go into the ninth inning with a one nothing lead thanks to that Christian Yelich sack fly. Josh Hader would come on uh, and retire the side. One of the outs was particularly uh, eventful. Uh, he did have one strikeout in that inning, and that was a strikeout looking for Kyle Schwarber. Uh, that was probably a good six inches off the plate, maybe a foot. I don't know. It was no, no. It, it, was it, it was it was it was nowhere near that far off. The six inches was off the other side of the plate, and that was a lower pitch. So that was, which I believe was the widest uh, called strike in any game this season. But the the hater one was it, it was off the plate. Sure, it was it was considerably off the plate. It, it wasn't the the six inches one though. And Kyle Schwarber probably just taking all of the the tension and feeling from both teams all night throws his bat down and begins uh berating An angel hernandez and at one point after he's been ejected and he's coming back from the dugout just to say a little bit more peace he i remember him saying like something it's been terrible all night both ways yeah. terrible all night both ways so kyle schwarber had had I'm it full um, like air traffic controller because then he demonstrated how they were left how they were right how they were up they were down it was he was it was really like Dennis Rodman in uh in the last dance where he's moving his hands every which way. <laughs> That's Kyle Schwarber is gonna be uh uh memed forever now and we thank him for that because uh you know it, it was, was one for batters hilarious. everywhere. Oh yeah, he was team batter. Um and you could see uh Josh Hader as soon as the strikeout was recorded, he turned and the, obviously the center field camera picks him up and there's a little grin on his face because he's like, Schwarber is not going to be happy. I know that was on a strike. I'm just going to take my strike out and turn around and we're going to, you know, he, I, I think he definitely did not want Schwarber to see him grinning. Uh, but another memorable moment after that, Alec Baum would fly out to right field and that would, uh, that would be that the Brewers get a 
2-3 series win over the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, and that would have been, what was that, six out of seven wins uh, since Andrew has been in the U.K. So things rolling for the Milwaukee Brewers at the end of that Philly series. Just on Eric Lauer, uh, his previous career best for, for strikeouts in a game is 10. So 13 strikeouts, a, a new career high mark for him. And it also ties the the franchise record for uh, most strikeouts in a game by a lefty at 13. I believe it was Teddy Higuera, who three times, I think, was if I'm remembering what I saw. Um, Adam. The, the San Francisco Giants came uh, to Milwaukee for a one-game series. I'm going to interrupt because yeah. I've, got, I've got one thing, and this is just in the recurring random things I'm noticing in watching baseball and getting used to all of this um, that, that upset me quite a lot. Okay. The camera setup in Philadelphia. Yes. This is something that when I saw it, it came back to me that I was aware that you know, this is, oh, the sort of thing people say, this is part of the charm of baseball, you know, even on TV, you know, different ballparks, they look different, they feel different, it adds something to the game. It does not add something to the game if it, in if like Philadelphia, you're off to the right at an angle and you're not getting to see the spin on pitches. You're You're not getting to see how a pitch is moving in any kind of way that's reflective of what a hitter is having to see. So I I did not enjoy that. I I got used to it. It was less of an issue by the end of the series. The first game though, I was like, this is crazy. How can how can this be a thing? How do they not have to have a, a broadcasting position, a camera position that gets you a, a cleaner shot on this? But how often would you say, Am I gonna am I gonna encounter this kind of scenario? Uh, so that's that's one thing I'm thinking about because I know there are some other examples that of parks that are particularly terrible. I know Philly has long been one. Um, after this podcast, I'm going to try and find a list, a ranking of best to worst uh, ballpark angles so I can find the others. Um, I feel like the old Texas ballpark was terrible. The new one might be fine. So I, I might need to do some research into this to, to really dig into like where some of the terrible angles are. We'll find them as we go, but it just, I found it really, really baffling. And I guess on, on broadcasts, one, one other thing that was a little bit baffling. We, uh, I don't know how many did we get six innings? Did we get seven innings of Bryce Harper just being on screen on the, the ESPN Sunday night baseball? Is that what that's called? Um, just talking through everything and not really wanting to be there or say a whole lot. And then just wanting to cheer on his teammates when they're in a position where they could get some runs. Very, very strange. I mean, part of it is cool. Like for, for an inning or two, it could be cool and you could get some insight. When you push it that far, and then even worse than that, when they went back to him in the ninth, when it was like, oh yeah, there's one out left and he's about to lose. And they're like, let's go back and talk to, to Bryce Harper. You're like, I mean, I, I didn't... I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy that part, uh, but what is that adding to the broadcast? Not a whole lot. So I, well, that was my first experience generally of a national broadcast. I don't know if that crew is considered to be a great crew, a terrible crew. I did not think it was very good. I was like, give me Bally Sports Wisconsin any day. 
Um, and not just because you're getting more of a Brewers perspective, but just I thought the way the game was called um, was not quite. I mean, it gave me like Breen, Jackson, Van Gundy vibes, which, you know, there's a real variance between what you're going to get from person to person within that that announcing crew in the NBA. And I, I don't know, I just wasn't getting a whole lot out of that. But I thought the Bryce Harper thing at the start, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then it became really, really weird as they just continued to stick with him and keep going back to it. Well, here's the problem with Bryce Harper and this whole situation is he's very boring. Like he is just, just because he's one of the best players in baseball, he does not give a particularly good interview, especially since that's almost Andrew because you're like, that's a, you can always find a, a correlation between generally you don't want to go to one of the best players and do that because their approach is going to be really different. You want to, you want a slightly more colorful character who's maybe not quite as prominent, but is going to give you insight of what also entertainment over the course of the game. And, and those exist. They're still great players. If you've got Jesse Winker, Joey Votto, fine. Don't give me Bryce Harper. Uh, I think he was a little, he was still boring, but a little more outspoken early in his career. And then obviously the immediate attention that came from that, I think has mellowed him to the point where he is just a baseball robot. Who's not going to give us anything particularly interesting. I would love to have a bullpen came on Brent Suter mm-hmm. during a game. That, that would be great. Um, but you know, ESPN, if you, if you want our ideas, we're here. The cruising for a bruising team. Um, will consult for a uh, significant fee, but one that's sure. within budget. Um, so do we want to give the, the Master Brewer out for the Philly series here? Or we wait no, no, no. Big, we're big giving, chunk together. We're giving for the four games because we're not going to have too many single game scenarios throughout the season. It makes sense to, to group it together as a four. Yeah, so the uh, San Francisco Giants came to town for one game. They This is a a COVID uh, reality of this season. They will play a doubleheader in Milwaukee in September to finish off the three-game series, but for now... A lockout, uh, a lockout reality rather than a COVID reality. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Uh, it's I understand a COVID reality. you have COVID on the brain, literally. It's, it's a COVID reality that I forgot that because uh, my brain is mashed potatoes. Um but Adam, we got to watch this baseball game together, which is the second time uh, we've gotten to do that, and uh, I think it uh, it brought up one of our season long issues because I want to start by talking about once again the ballad of the platoon split, especially in this situation. So, and originally this game was going to be Corbin, Corbin Burns versus San Francisco Giants ace Carlos Rodon. The Giants push Rodon a day to, to pitch uh, today against whoever the Giants are playing. Who cares? They're the Giants. They're not the Brewers, and we don't care about the Giants. Um, and so today became a bullpen day. And, you know, Craig Council is armed with this information uh, when building out his lineup. So the Giants would start Sam Long as the opener. And it was pretty clear to anyone that was commenting on how the game would go that this was going to be Sam Long for an inning, maybe two, and then it would give way to a full-on bullpen game. Uh, I think the the Giants are pretty right-handed heavy in that bullpen. That being said, uh, Council went to his kind of all-right-handed lineup, moved Colton Wong to ninth, 
uh, Brasso in for Jace Peterson, which worked out well, even though it's all of his hit bats came against righties, I believe. Victor Caratini in for Omar Narvaez, and most importantly, Keston Pira in for Rowdy Tellez. And it's it's something that's a trend, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop. Um, but it makes no sense, especially in this scenario where you're rolling out your quote-unquote lineup against lefties against a lefty who's going to be in for one inning. And I I need to dig into some quotes and, and go back up to see if Council has talked about this. And if his if his not excuse, but if his reasoning is this is just how we're going to get all these guys at bats, it's just not holding water for me because the data does not suggest putting Keston Hura in for Rowdy Tellez is doing anything positive for your offense against lefties. It does not bear out in the data. Yeah, we keep seeing it. It's damaging in comparison, right? You're actually hurting the team based on based on the numbers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Keston Hura is a better hitter against right-handers than he is left-handed. Um, he reached base twice today, which was great. So this, this wasn't necessarily something that um, cost him the game, but I think it's, you know, Tellez's bat, not being in there in general is, is what's more damaging, in my opinion. I mean, uh, if this were a game against a, a true, like, dominant lefty like Rodon, maybe you put Hira in for Wong against the left-hander because that's an area um, where, okay, you're trying to make uh, – see if Keston can actually do this over a large sample size. You want him in the lineup against lefties just to see what happens. Okay, but taking him – putting him in the lineup for Tellez just robs your lineup of power and – I think Rowdy Tellez is someone that needs to be given that opportunity to prove he's a 150 game a season starting first baseman nailed on. And we're just not seeing that. I think he would surprise some people, including, I guess, his own manager in this case. But this constant uh, pushing and pulling him out of the lineup, I think, is affecting his play as well and and not letting him, you know, kind of get comfortable within the season. Um, But, uh, that's not a knock against Keston here because I do want to see what he can do. I mean, he's got a not hitting for much power this year, but he's got a uh, 367 on base percentage. He has good at bats. Um, he got, got that nice hustle infield single. So I don't know. It's just one of those things that keeps coming up and it's obviously going to be a talking point the whole season. And I guess uh, from our end, <laughs> we might just want to get used to it. I, I think that one of the things with it too, though, is wasn't the first time we saw Keston this season wasn't that as a DH, which uh, I, yes, which I don't feel like has happened since because that spot has been almost exclusively Andrew McCutcheon or in some instances that I've personally felt a little bit puzzling. And it's something we talked about when we were on playback last night, Christian Yelich. I don't know if that's necessarily doing a whole lot for Yelich um, in, in those games either. I like I, I think that's maybe where there's been for whatever reason he's decided he just doesn't want to do that. That might be more about Andrew McCutcheon than it is about Kesson Hera. And then it's about how do I get him in? And that's where he's making some of those decisions. But it, it isn't from a place where the logic is easy to kind of work through. And then I don't know if you saw uh Craig Hansel's postgame press conference last night, but he was he was asked, he was really asked about uh, Willie Adams's homer and if that's something that maybe could get him going, spark some confidence that's needed and kind of break him out of a slump he's been in since a a positive start to the season, the first couple of games. 
and council essentially went into, you know, we're at a place right now where we just don't have many guys feeling good. And I heard that it gets more puzzling because it's like, okay, well, Rowdy had homers on back-to-back nights last week, and then you swapped them out. And then in a game like this, when the reason you're making the change or certainly the only logical reason that can be kind of picked out and it defies logic all the same, but that we can at least identify what his reasoning might be. Well, after one inning, that had changed. And there were plenty of opportunities where, you know, he could have gone with that and you're still getting guys some playing time and you're getting to see what they're doing and you could have made the change sooner. But instead, it's the ninth inning and Rowdy comes in. It's like, yo, you better save us now. And he, he strikes out on a, a pretty weak, um, weak pitch. And even the decision-making um, for who Rowdy pinch hit for didn't really align there. Cause here is up against a right-handed hitter. He's, you know, reached base on an infield signal against right-handed hitter, but our pitcher, but also drew a walk um, kind of seeing the ball. It looks like he's having good at bats. And then the, player that would hit next Lorenzo Kane is, is really struggling right now so I maybe would have seen let Keston hit against the right-handed pitcher and then bring Rowdy in next and he did the opposite and I don't know it's just it's just not making a lot of sense and I think you and I would both would like to see like maybe for a week just have your nine and maybe give an off day here and there but don't do the full like John Calipari at Kentucky uh platoon lineups swap are there, are there limits to, so in that scenario too, where Rowdy comes in to pinch it, can you only swap out a certain number of guys at a time? Or because, because even if he was going to take Kesson out for Rowdy, I don't know why Tyrone Taylor didn't come in for Lorenzo Kane then. Yeah, there's no limits or anything. Uh, I think the reason he did, I, I mean, the, I guess if you're thinking, looking for reasoning, it would be if you got to the. It's not uh, a good reason. Next, next inning, you need Rowdy to play first, <laughs> but he's shown a willingness to be flexible. And you could have brought in Tyrone Taylor to play right and put Renfro at first if you run into a situation, or you could have swapped everything but around. That's, and it I'm saying been fine. even with what he did. So if you bring Rowdy in for for Castanera first, so that's yep. fine. You've got Rowdy at first. Bring Tyrone Taylor in for Lorenzo Kane, and you've you've pinch hit with two guys. You've got, I don't, well, yeah, I think you've two better hitters right now. Certainly Rowdy over over Kesson, and maybe you would have liked Kesson out there still. But that's the way where you could have done that, and you're still you're still retaining some sort of uh, positional structure that if the scenario that you're chasing comes about and the game goes to extra innings, you've you've got your team in some kind of shape. Yeah, and they well, they had not used too many people off um, the bench at that point. So really, I, I don't, I don't actually think that's why it was happening. I think he just was like, R- all right, Rowdy, time for Rowdy, Rowdy is the righty only guy who was used off the bench. Yeah, so it was, it wasn't a, like so. There was no worry about, oh no, we're going to get to the next inning and it's going to be tied. And we're not going to have guys to play certain positions. I think it was just as simple as it's time for Rowdy. Although I would have liked to, I don't know. It's just, and then letting Kane hit when he's clearly in a bad way. I mean, just not seeing the ball well, hitting the ball into the ground. He did He did hit the ball hard a couple times today, so maybe it was like, all right, um, 
prove it. I, I think we definitely would have gotten uh, Narvaez pinch hitting for, for Caratini if we had gotten to that point. So I, I didn't see if he was on deck um, at the time. I don't think the camera showed that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just been puzzling decisions with, with the lineups and decisions with uh, – Pinch hitters, I think uh, Council does a pretty good job managing the bullpen for the most part. There have been some slip-ups here and there, like especially um, in the last week. Um, but with the lineup, it's just some things that aren't making sense that, that maybe will pan out as the season goes along. Um, so the, the Brewers actually took uh, an early lead in this game. Uh, like we said, Kesson Hura did reach in the second on that infield single. Uh, reached second on a hit and run that resulted in Lorenzo Kane ground out um, and then eventually scored on a Mike Barrasso infield single after a misguided pickoff attempt at second base got here at the third. Um, then in the – so, first of all, this, this game can be called uh, the Corbin Burns game, not related to Angel Hernandez because because he was absolutely fantastic doing what Corbin Burns does. This was another low-scoring Brewers game. Obviously, they had a um, one nothing lead until the eighth inning. Burns goes six and two-thirds innings, two hits, two walks, 11 strikeouts, um, 106 pitches. His ERA on the season is 175. He is right in line for another season to contend for a National League Cy Young Award. He is locked in. And I mean, in contention for the best pitcher in baseball. And we thought we were going to see him against uh, a guy who's also in that breath, but maybe another day. But I mean, Corbin Burns is not why the Brewers lost this baseball game. He's fantastic. And he is just continuing to show like why he is the guy when they're, their backs up against the wall, you want him in the game. And I also have to take some responsibility for this loss. We get mm-hmm. to the eight things. So, uh, but then, but then uh, someone else took responsibility. But we're not going to shame our listeners. No, no, it was, so it's on not. you. You're not even. Right. It. It's on you. I mean, no, this no. is where the game uh, got but... away, and it was it was of your your creation, and we knew it at the time too. I'm hanging up. <laughs> we warned against uh, it. But go on, you can let people know who weren't on the playback. Yeah, so Trevor Gott came in uh, in the the seventh inning to relieve Burns. Got out of the seventh, and then in the the eighth inning, I was talking about, you know, how impressed I was about his season so far, how going into the season I was wrong, and he's become a key cog in the bullpen. And then uh, Jock Peterson, he of National League Division Series Tournament, hit a two-run home run uh, to give the Giants a 2-1 lead, and that deflated the, uh, deflated the playback uh, and, you know, really wasn't what I needed here in quarantine. Uh, that being said, uh, the Brewers would still give themselves a chance to get back into this game. In the uh, in the bottom of the eighth inning with two outs, Willie Adamas crushed a home run to left center field to tie the game at two, taking us to the ninth inning in which I remained largely silent because I had seen what had happened before. So I just sat there and said nothing. Uh, Jake Cousins came into the baseball game to try and move us to the bottom of the ninth. And unfortunately... Uh, that would not go well as a player I was unfamiliar with at the time. He seems like a really versatile guy because he played center field, right field, and left field uh, in the game. Luis Gonzalez crushes a two-run home run to right field, just fair uh, to give the Giants a 4-2 lead. Uh, Jake Cousins, an inning pitch, two hits, 
two runs, uh, two walks, and that home run. And, uh, yeah, it's just been indicative of, of Cousins' season so far in that when his slider, he can command it, it's unhittable. And when he can't command it, it's either incredibly hittable or unhittable because it's way out of the zone. And Those two um, things happen consistently within the one game, though, is the problem. Like, uh, it's not even just he's had great games and he's had bad games. He's had games where he's both great and bad, and that is that is a trickier balance where you're gonna get caught out on it. And particularly, that's that's one where if you're if you're a Giants player, you've got to be thinking more more than it's always the case. If we can stay in this and get the pitch count up, good things will happen. You know, the the further we push Jake Cousins, good things will happen, and good things happen for the Giants. And it was it was particularly crushing because you you find yourself watching these Brewers games that go something like this all the time and then when when Trevor got 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 at that point you're like okay it's game over they're not gonna <laughs> they're not gonna all of a sudden score runs to take this back now and then Willie Adams hits the homer which was I mean it was great in the moments it was a nice jolt of hope um but yeah, not a not a nice finish to the game for the Brewers. And to go back to where it finished and the decisions uh, Craig Council made, like leaving Lorenzo Cain in, in that situation, 143 batting average, worse than the team. Uh, 384 OPS, worse than the team. What is – why? Like – Honestly, where is the reasoning in that scenario that you're not taking him out of the game at that point? I've got nothing. Yeah, I mean, there, there is no case for that. There is no case for the decision that was made there. And if you if you're bringing Rowdy in, so you're you're not just completely giving up on a game which you shouldn't be giving up on because it's a, it's only a two run game. Then why why did you not take Kane out of the game at that point? completely puzzling so yeah uh camillo Duvall uh was the the man that would get the save for the giants came in and shut the door and the it started off i feel like it, i felt a little positive he didn't know where the ball was going and an bat to hunter renfro and then a questionable call i'll i'll just say it makes the count two one instead of uh Three or three one instead of a walk to Renfro, and that changes the at bat. Renfro flies out, and the rest is history. Um, but that's baseball. Um, and the Brewers would lose four two, so they would will lose the. We're either going to call it they lose the one game series with the Giants, or they're o one heading into their September rest of the series with the Giants. Very strange, but uh, uh, it's not all doom and gloom, despite uh, the tenor of my comments because you know we watched it live together into the the early morning hours and uh it was just you know very emotional back and forth at the time but the brewers still remain 10 and 7 lots of question marks about the offense but they're still 10 and 7 where does that go from here uh we'll find out um we have no no rest for the wicked or no rest for the the sick as well because the Brewers schedule keeps rolling on 
uh, with three games at the Pittsburgh Pirates, who obviously might be a sight for sore eyes as uh, <laughs> they were. Uh... You know what, though? I was I was looking at the standings because I, I knew the Brewers had got into uh, first place in the NL Central before that game. And the Cardinals must have lost last night because still they're during a share of top of the NL Central right now. The Pirates are a 500 team. They're they have an 8-8 eight eight record. Like, the Cubs are 7-9. Uh, we'll obviously see the Cubs again soon, too. We'll see the Cubs this week after the Pirates. And, and then the, Cubs, the Reds. Then there is the Reds, which we will see the Reds as well. And, you know, they're playing them in order of the standings. Um, based on when we last saw the Cubs, and I have not seen a second of the Cubs since, I'm... A little bit surprised because they, they looked to have something going and they some interesting players. But the Pirates, considering some of their recent results in particular, being a 500 team at this point, really had me shook. Bottom line is, though, this is a stretch where Milwaukee needs to go six of nine at least. In, in my opinion. Because uh, I think better. They, I think they are better than... Or they need to sweep the Reds. How about they, that? They should um, probably sweep the Pirates again, too. They swept them last uh, time. They should probably sweep them, sweep the Reds, and then after how the previous series against the Cubs went, I mean, you'd like to see them win a series. Like, it's obviously with the, the lack of offense or the offensive struggles, it's not going to go this smoothly. But, like, the Brewers should be eyeing seven or eight games here. Uh. You know what? I, I wouldn't say no to that. Uh, tonight, April 26th on a Tuesday, we got Brandon Woodruff against Mitch Keller. And then uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, Aaron Ashby returns to the starting role mm. against uh, former Atlanta Brave and Durham, North Carolina native Bryce Wilson. And then that the series will wrap up on Thursday with Freddie Peralta taking on Jose Quintana. Um, I like the matchup in, in each game there for the Brewers. And as you said, this is an opportunity in the schedule to get some guys going with the bat, dominate on the mound, and really pile up wins going into um, a date with uh, the defending champion Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. All right, Master Brewer leaderboard. Uh, let me... Let me get the let me get things in order so we can give people a recap of how things shaped up going into these four games. So to the first 13 games of the season, Rowdy Tellez was our Master Brewer leaderboard. Uh, he's he's got three Master Brew points. Behind him, we had Corbin Burns, Josh Hader, Brandon Mortar with two each, and Willie Adames with one of his own. I think we were in pretty quick agreement when we talked about before the podcast, unless any other thoughts have come to mind throughout this. But um, for these four games, Corbin Burns, Eric Lauer, Josh Hader. That's it. No one else has, has worked their way into the reckoning for you. Not in this discussion. Um, Hunter Renfro had come to mind, but he, he had closest. one. Go- yeah. He had one good game that looked like he was about to break out, and then the rest of the time didn't really put it together. I, I think we're seeing some positive trends with him where he can be a reliable bat in the middle of the order. Um, but, you know, maybe at the end of this Pittsburgh series, we're talking about him uh, really breaking out. 
yeah, we'll see. And with with those uh, three guys earning Master Brew points, that means we've got a three-way tie at the top. Rowdy Tells, Corbin Burns, Josh Hader. And Rowdy, Rowdy might need uh, Craig Council to put a bit more trust in him and play him a bit more regularly because I think it's going to be quite a task for for any brewer um, to keep up with Corbin Burns and Josh Hader as the season goes on. Because both guys just absolutely automatic. I do have good news for that. At least the first two games of this Pirate series is that Mitch Keller and Bryce Wilson are both right-handers. Jose Quintana is a lefty, so we'll we'll Pencil see how that in. Yeah, we'll see how things look on uh, Thursday, whatever day it is. All right, that does it for us. Then we will be back. Uh, I guess after the after the Pirates series. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. Well, so either, yeah, you'll probably hear from us Friday, Friday morning. I would say, although these things are subject to change. If Andrew at some point can get freed, and um, his uh, his travel interferes with that, but we'll we'll aim for a pod to wrap up the pirate series to make sure you hear that. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Cruising for a bruising. We should be most places. We're in the process of going up on Google Podcasts. I'm hoping it lands there soon because everything has been taken care of on my end. Um, but if there's anywhere else that you want to listen to us and you haven't seen it yet, let us know. At Brewers GSPN on Twitter, I'm at Adam McGee 11 Andrew's at AC Snide. Of course, you should also subscribe to the Eurostep Podcast Network, the network we are a part of. The main feed there has all of your Milwaukee books needs covered. We hope that the books are just one game away from closing out their first round series and moving on to the Eastern Conference semifinals where they will face the Boston Celtics. Um, that is something that we'll be diving into in great detail tomorrow, tomorrow night on the Eurostep Podcast Network. So whether you want to listen after the game or if it's a Thursday morning thing, there will be full post-game pod analysis. Um, so make sure you subscribe there, Eurostep Podcast Network. Also, lastly, gspnstore.com. That is the store where you can get all of your merch for Cruising for a Bruising, Win in Six, the Eurostep and the Eurostep Podcast Network. Great response so far. It was actually very cool. We were getting some, some photos of Cruising for a Bruising merch out in the wild last night, Cruising for a Bruising merch in the stadium um, at Brewers Game. So if you would like to pick up anything of our designs, anything with our great logo on it, gspnstore.com, true to April 30th, you get 22% off with promo code PLAYOFFS22. Uh, I will say that even though I know it has nothing to do with the words that come out of my mouth, it was still very cool to see something that I'm a part of inside American Family Insurance uh like in the wild with a beer. That was just great. But uh, I don't know if you mentioned this because I, my phone blew up with people waking up on the East Coast of the United States <laughs> trying to figure out if I'm dead or not. Um, uh, I think on Friday's episode, we'll uh, read out some of the nice reviews we've seen uh, on the podcast. Uh, uh, you because... know what? We'll, we'll start with that right now. Um, I did promise that we would, we would work our way through some of the reviews we've got um, because people have been very, very kind so far to to go and leave us uh, five-star ratings and reviews where, wherever they list their pods. Apple Podcasts is the best for reviews. Um, although you can leave us a five-star rating on Spotify and 
um, you can you can go to the form we have for Discord entry and leave a review that way if you like. I, I tweeted that out yesterday. But we'll work through a couple of reviews. One of them, you know, the first one, I'll do two because the first one I feel like is, you know, has a vested interest. That's Ty Windish. Um, but Ty kindly says he's super excited to listen to the pod as the season gets going. Andrew and Adam are going to be literally distinct voices in the brewer space in all the best ways. That is very much true. Ty joined us on playback last night. It was the first uh, time since we started all things cruising for a bruising that we got to talk brewers baseball with Ty. And that was a lot of fun um, as the season progresses. And certainly as the book season cools off, you can expect to hear Ty um, more regularly as a guest on the show with us, I'm sure. And uh, he, he in the playback, he slid into the on-fire apartment like Donald Glover in that episode of Community <laughs> after Jock Peters did not hit that home run. That, that is right. He he had to leave for a little while. He came back just as that happened. But he got to see a Willie Thomas homer. It seemed like things were looking up for him, and then they weren't. Um, and the other one I'll read out for today from a black brain uh, subject, New Brew Crew. I'm really starting to think this podcast was created specifically for me. I'm a North Carolinian with no baseball allegiances who arbitrarily chose the Brewers to follow for the 2022 season. Imagine my surprise when I discover this podcast. The stars are aligning for the Brewers this year, and I can't wait to follow along with Adam and Andrew. That's very kind. Thank you very much, Blackbrain. I've, I've no doubt Andrew in particular appreciates uh, hearing some North Carolinian support, hearing that the listenership in in his home state as much as you are not there right now is booming andrew and yeah if you're listening if you're enjoying the pod so far please go to apple podcast five star rating and review and we'll we'll read through uh, a lot of them or certainly the best ones as we as we go through uh our episodes over the next you know indefinite period of time andrew and one of our uh, good discord friends posted a, a great one that we'll read friday or better yet I'll that, sing. That you'll sing, but that we'll probably save that until the one after that, which is a good idea okay. for many reasons. One, for your voice, your chances of recovery, mm-hmm. so the people in your hotel don't hear singing uh, from the room where the man is stranded with COVID. So we'll, we'll get to that one. Okay, that is officially it. Until well, next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew, for for soldiering on. Thank you, Adam. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.